You are listening to the Mission Matters Podcast Network, where we amplify the stories of entrepreneurs, executives, and experts. Hi, you're listening to The Leaders Lab, a new podcast that unpacks lessons from great leaders across all walks of life and turns them into actionable advice to help you on your own leadership journey. My name is Ken Eslick. Thanks for joining us. This is our first full episode. I'm really excited to bring you guys Tommy Rose, and Tommy's a good friend of mine. And when I decided to launch the podcast, I knew immediately that I wanted Tommy to be the first guest. Tommy has had and continues to have a profound impact, not only on me, but thousands of others worldwide through his work, which you're going to hear more about. Tommy is an internationally renowned yoga teacher and addiction recovery expert who has spent the last three decades immersed in recovery and wellness. He holds advanced certifications in both Kundalini and Hatha Yoga and has 31 years of continuous recovery from addiction. Tommy teaches yoga at conferences, festivals, retreats, and online throughout the year, sharing the power of breath and movement to build vitality, boost immunity, and live optimally. He is the founder and CEO of Recovery 2.0, where he has created the Recovery 2.0 Global Community, Recovery 2.0 Online Conference Series, the Recovery 2.0 Group Coaching Program, and the Recovery 2.0 Coach Training. Tommy also leads yoga and recovery retreats and workshops internationally, spreading the message of don't just survive, thrive. Tommy's first book, Recovery 2.0, Move Beyond Addiction and Upgrade Your Life, published by Hay House, was published to international acclaim and continues to transform the lives of readers across the globe. His book has become a standard not only in the recovery community, but for anyone on a path of growth and discovery that wants to thrive in life. Without further ado, here's my talk with Tommy. All right. Well, welcome, Tommy. How's it going? Welcome to the Leaders Lab. Well, I am so grateful to be at the Leaders Lab and to get a chance to talk to you, Ken. And it's going well. Life is good. I'm I'm here in Tulum, Mexico and teaching yoga and, you know, looking for places that I can plug in and be of service with regards to recovery from addiction. That's so cool. Well, I mean, I've, I've never talked about it publicly before. I've never talked about my own journey and recovery. And it wasn't something I was really planning on doing, not because I'm ashamed of it in any way. Life is good. But, you know, just not something I was going to shout out on Facebook one day. Just wasn't my thing. But for me to have a podcast about leadership and to talk about people that have influenced me as a leader and to not have you be the first guest on that show, I would regret that for a long time. And it would be completely out of integrity because there's no one that's made a bigger impact on my life in the last couple of years. And not so much from, you know, not drinking. It's not that. It's really, again, the, the lessons that, that you learn after you stop or along that path. So... Thank you so much for being here, Tommy. Yeah, great to have you. Thank you, Ken. I'm so grateful. You got it. Well, I like I mentioned that you know I, I think you know this, Tommy, but just for our listeners, I was dabbling a little bit in sobriety. I would say for about three years before you and I met, it was something where I definitely had some behaviors and and some things that I was taking a look at, but I wasn't real sure I was on the right path. Right? You wrote a book about eight years ago that that I mentioned in the introduction. It's now become like a bestseller in the recovery community. I consider it like a modern day Bible. In that book, you talk about, you know, the six main addictions, four aggravations. Do you mind diving into those? Because I think for people tuning into this, and I said this in the intro episode that, is this going to be a podcast about addiction? I'm like, no, but this is a podcast about growth 
and to not talk about the human condition and things that go along with that, you know, we can't get there. So I think this applies to everybody, whether they're in this path or not. And maybe once they hear you talk about the six major addictions and the four aggravations, I think they'll see where they might fit into that. Amazing. I'm so I'm so grateful to, to start here cool. because it's coming directly from my own experience as a person who has struggled with addiction in a variety of forms. And also as a person who has worked with literally thousands of people over the last 30 years, and I've seen what they've gone through. And for me, I'm looking at addiction as any behavior that you do, despite it bringing negative consequences into your life. So you continue a behavior, it's bringing negativity into your life on some level, and you keep going. And to me, it doesn't matter what the what the behavior is. It's all, in a sense, it's all coming from the same place. But I've broken it down into six basic things, which I call the big six. And it's where I see most human beings, almost everybody, like struggling or, or, or you know, encountering these six and some people really struggling with them. And it begins with drugs. Drugs, we take a broad view on everything. So already, let's, we've got a broad view on addiction. Any behavior you continue, despite the fact it brings behavior right. to your life. So drugs, we're talking about over-the-counter drugs. We're talking about illicit drugs. And I ask people often in my workshops, like, you know, do you think, do you think we have a drug problem in the world? You know, and everybody laughs. Right. Like, what a, what a silly question. You know, of course we do. We all know we do. And so it's good that we, we call it out, that we know that we have a drug problem, that collectively as a society, we have a major league drug problem, which isn't just about the illegal drugs, but it's also about legal use of over-the-counter prescriptions and medications and all this. So it begins with drugs. That's the first. The second is alcohol. Alcohol is what I would say is our society's pressure release valve. It's present at births. It's present at deaths. It's present at rites of passage. It's present at weddings. It's present at funerals. It's present at sporting events. Alcohol sponsors are, you know, somehow have made their way into, into like arenas and sports. And, you know, it, it just, it's such an incongruous thing to drink alcohol and be excellent as an athlete. It's like, you know, it, it doesn't really, <laughs> it doesn't exactly. But nonetheless, our society really, really pushes the daily usage of alcohol. And so much so that I feel people who don't drink, there's some kind of weird shame or stigma about that, not because they might've been alcoholic or because they have some kind of weakness, but simply because they, they're, they're not doing something that almost everybody does. Right. And so you become this strange and weird person because you don't do that. Right. Uh, so, so drugs, alcohol, and next we have food. I also ask people if they think we have a food problem in our society. Everybody laughs. <laughs> of course, you know, we've got, we've got incredible rates of type 2 diabetes, heart disease, arteriosclerosis, hypertension, kidney failure, kidney disease, and obesity. And all of those conditions are directly related to our relationship with food right and and how we don't view those conditions 
We view those conditions as medical. Those are medical problems. You have a medical problem, you have type 2 diabetes. Certainly it's a medical problem, but it came from food addiction and, and other, other, other habits that have led to the body breaking down in certain ways. Very painful, very costly. So food addiction on that level, overeating, emotional eating, binge eating, also of course, bulimia and anorexia, two of the most deadly of the addictions out there are under the food category. So, so far we have drugs, alcohol, and food. Now we move on to people, the people addictions. So here we're talking about the very painful addiction of codependency, a way of, of one person relating to another person that is unhealthy and creates havoc and a lot of pain and suffering. It really has to do with a disconnection from one's core, core being, from oneself. And that's so, so painful. And out of that comes all manner of, of relationship disorders. We also have in the people category, sex addiction. And later on, we'll talk about sex addiction again when it, we get to technology because that brings up pornography addiction. And, and that's a whole nother sort of angle of addiction over there. Okay. So drugs, alcohol, food, people, money, the money addictions. So shopping, what we call debting, or being constantly in a state of gambling. So a misunderstanding about money, what money is and how to create a healthy relationship with it is really, really painful. And I also, I ask people, you know, do you think we have a debt problem? Right. You know, in the United States, do you think we have a debt problem? And it's like, you know, what a joke. Like our country is trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars in debt at the highest level. Right. Individually, almost nobody is left who's not in debt of some kind or another. Whether that's I would think, oh, sorry. I would think what's, what's going on with the stock market right now too. Like you're just going to see just, I, I saw a guy in a meeting today who was just on his phone. Just, you could refresh, 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 because re, he's just watching his Bitcoin portfolio, you know, tank, which I get. I mean, I've been there, but that behavior, I mean, it completely took him out of the room, you know, like he could not be there, you know? And that's such a beautiful example of what we're talking about. See, when people think about addiction, they think of the worst of the worst of the worst. Like right. Your whole life is imploded, imploded behind heroin addiction, Oxycontin or right. cocaine or alcohol. Like you've just you've lost all your family and you're, you, know, you, have to, you end up in jail or whatever it is. And those are extreme cases of addiction. But what about the person that just doesn't have the present moment? Right. Like you're just not here because your mind is so troubled. Well, and that's what hit me and not to interrupt where you are in the, in the addictions, yeah. but that's what hit me with your book was I think for a lot of people recovering from something or trying to figure out if they should, do I have an eating disorder? Am I an alcoholic? Am I, you know, do I do this too much, that too much or whatever? is the question I was asking myself, do I drink too much? Am I drinking too much? And the answer was yes, if you're asking the question probably, but it's the wrong question. The right question, which I didn't know until I read your book is, am I engaged in behaviors that are no longer serving me, right? And do I continue to do them even though they're no longer serving me? So that's an individual question made for each individual person. Yep. But, it, but it's also not limited to alcohol it's not limited to food right and i'll let you keep going because i i know that's where you're going but that was that was the lightning bolt that sort of hit me when i when i read your book 
and I'm I'm so glad because it it brings it brings us all into a much more compassionate and human and connected place because it turns out that almost everybody is sort of dealing with this on some level and we can't address it if we don't recognize it. Right. And so in recognizing the problem, the problem is, well, on the surface, the problem could be, all right, I'm, I'm, do, I'm doing drugs and, and that's creating problems in my life. I'm drinking alcohol, that's creating problems in my life, whatever it is. But underneath that behavior, there was a, a thought process and a pattern of behavior that was painful or difficult or intolerable. And it, it, it was something that you had to address in some way, shape or form. And people recognize, oh, I've fallen into a pattern of behavior to address the fact that I'm uncomfortable. Right. I'd rather just deal with the fact that I'm uncomfortable and fix that. Right. <laughs> then spend the next 10 years as an alcoholic avoiding the fact that I'm uncomfortable and, and sort of right. treating it, you know, medicinally, if you will. Right. So, yeah. So as we continue, we, we get, we get, so we have drugs, alcohol, food, people, money. And then we come to the six with his technology. Now everybody's here. It is. Here's the culprit. See it. Right. Yeah. He's holding an iPhone. <laughs> I'm holding my iPhone up, my yeah. smartphone, my, my smartphone that makes me dumb, yeah. I'm holding it up. And what that is, is we've adopted something into our lives that is severely negatively impacting our ability to focus, to concentrate, and to show up in the world in any kind of present way. Right. And I can't see that as anything but in it. So I'm not saying that all technology is bad. It's the way that we use it. As with right. all, but technology, we spoke earlier about sex addiction and if you're a sex addict, and by the way, there's no shame around that. It's just another, another behavior where people turn to feel better or to relieve themselves of a sense of discomfort or, or worse. Right. And so if you're a sex addict, then these days, your drug of choice is everywhere all the time. Right. Everywhere all the time. Right. Served up for free. For free. Right. Everywhere all the time. Right. And so, you know, there are, are men and women that I work with who say to me, you know, I, I can't relate physically, sexually to my partner anymore because I'm looking at images and fantasy and it's changing the way I am. It's, it's preventing me from intimacy right. with a human being. And that's incredibly painful. That's like one of the biggest prices I can imagine somebody paying in his life. That's heavy. So, yeah, man, it is heavy. And, you know, we, we, the sexual aspect of humanity of our life is on one part, it's a necessity in terms of pro, but it's also one of the sweet joys of life and can be very sacred and beautiful. And when that gets tainted towards the dark side and it becomes this vacuous act, it's so, so painful. And I have been there myself. I understand that. And so I'm happy to report that I don't live in that place and that there's a solution for anybody who does. All right. So, so those it, are the big six right there. And so, so beyond that, so, so a lot of people are going, okay, I don't have one of those, right? That's what people do, right? You go, no, that's not me. That's not me. That's not me. Maybe that one's me. I don't think so though. Like whatever. 
So tell me about the four aggravations. Okay. So we're all subject to the human condition. This is the main point of this exercise that we're going through right now is you have to understand you're a human being and being a human being has certain challenges to it. And, and the way I would, I would just say it's hard to be human. Right. It's hard to be human. It's not the easiest thing in the world. You have to deal with, you know, loss. You have to deal with sickness. You have to deal with death. You have to deal with uncertainty. You have to deal with ego. You have to deal with other people who don't see things the way you do. There's so much to it. And you also get to feel love and connection and joy and triumph and success, all of it. So being a human is a mix of things. So we're all subject to this condition of being a human being. And, and part of this condition in this day and age, there are four things that I notice. I call them the four aggravations that almost every human being is dealing with on a regular basis. Negative thinking, self-doubt, procrastination, and resentment those four things. Now, negative thinking, people will immediately say to me, you know, that is not an addiction, Tommy. Number one, there's no craving mechanism. I don't crave negative thinking. And I would say, actually, chemically speaking, internally in the body, I'm not so sure. This is a behavior that you continue despite the fact that it brings negative consequences into your life. Right. And people will say, wait a minute, I'm not doing my negative thinking. It's happening it's to just me. downloading. Yeah, it's happening to me. Yeah. I have no control over that. And yeah. thank God, thank God that's not true. You can control your thinking. You absolutely can learn how to focus the mind. You can adopt an attitude of positivity or negativity. You have free will in this world. Now, you may not have been trained to become good at that. Right. You may not know how to change your mind through meditation, through yoga, through breath work, through diet, through walking in nature, all the methods we have at our, our disposal. You may not be good at changing your mind yet or, or not realize that you have that ability. So this will be a, a hopefully a huge day of awakening for you if that's the case, because you have that ability. Right. You can change your mind. And in fact, one of our, one of the purposes of our life is to learn how to train the mind and to be able to direct the mind towards positivity and focus and concentrate on the things that you want to manifest in your life. We understand that beliefs and thoughts, they actually have power. Absolutely. So we see that that playing out. In Absolutely. Life. I mean, th this whole topic, I mean, which I want to dive into more when you get through the aggravations, but this is the main reason why we're talking today, really, to me, right? Is like, how do we get on that path? How do we get on the path of controlling our thoughts right and 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 our behaviors and all of that that, that go along with it yeah. so yeah continue this is great thank yeah. you well, thank you and it's the most incredible thing when a person recognizes their own power and decides to investigate it right and that's what we're talking about so what we're doing is we're recognizing the places where we have defaulted back into behaviors or thought processes that don't serve us and so in recognizing that, we can begin to break out of those behaviors. And that's, that's where we are right now. So right. These four aggravations, negative thinking, then you come to self-doubt. Self-doubt, let's just say, is negative thinking turned upon oneself. And if you don't think self-doubt is, is destructive or prevents you from you know, going to places you want to go in your life, 
I mean, just think about, you know, it's very unlikely that you achieve something when you doubt that you're able to do it. Right. Like some, at some point in the journey, you have to turn towards faith and belief. And I know I can do it. I believe in myself. And I'm going to keep working at this and get the help I need and get the support until I realize this creation, this goal that I want to, I want to have. So self-doubt is, is it just takes all the wind out of your sails. Totally. Okay. And I like to call it the sort of the mental, emotional autoimmune disease. It's an autoimmune disease. You're turning your mind and your emotions against you. Right. And it works. It really right. works. You know, there's an old Tony Robbins saying that says the number one force in a human personality is to stay consistent with your own identity. And it's so true. Like it comes up all the time. So if you're telling yourself all the time that you're bad at something, you're telling yourself all the time that you're no good, you will manifest that. I mean, the same way you can look at someone and go, you know, that person's going to get this done no matter what, right? Or Steph Curry's going to make that shot right now because you can just see it, right? He believes it's going to happen. Yes. But it, it's, it's both sides of that are completely true, right? It absolutely. It goes in both directions. And I think Henry Ford said it best when he said, whether you believe you can or you believe you can't. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that one. So self-doubt, then you have procrastination. Procrastination is a funny thing because it sounds like if you, if you spoke, here's what procrastination is. It's I'm not going to do the thing that I really need to do and that I actually want to do. I want to complete this thing and I need to do it. I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to distract myself from the pain I feel because I'm not doing the thing I'm supposed to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's such a setup, you know? Right. So it's like crazy. a crazy eight pattern, right? That they just keep repeating the same thing. Yeah. And I, or we I, do. I should say we, not they. Yeah. I, this is a we for me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because I absolutely, I grew up through from first grade to 10th to 12th grade, you know, through all the way through high school, procrastinating in school on my work. And while it might be like, you know, it's okay. You, you, okay. You didn't do your homework one day. You show up, you don't, but imagine if you don't do your homework period and you constantly feel behind. Right. And you constantly reinforce your self doubt, which says, I can't do it. I can't do it. Right. And you just procrastinate away. And it's the most, it's such a destructive force. But I feel like they stack on each other because you you have the self-doubt. Self-doubt creates procrastination. Procrastination reaffirms the self-doubt, right? It's like, oh, well, you never thought you were going to get it done anyway. So now, yep. you know, just the same guy you thought you were going to be, you know. Yep. And depending on the way your ego may skew, you might look at other people and, and start judging. Right. Wow. Those people think they're so great because, you know, because <laughs> they're doing their homework. Right, right. Because they're doing what they're supposed to, you yeah. know. Look at look at Mr. Big Shot yeah, yeah. completing his task. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and, and you can just really start to judge and condemn, and that there's your negative thinking. And also that leads us to the fourth aggravation, resentment. We start to resentment is this feeling, a negative feeling you feel over and over again. Over and over again, you feel a negative feeling. And it's painful. I feel it in the stomach mostly in the body. I feel, I feel a sincere resentment. When I feel it, I feel it in the belly. Like a, a real venomous, yucky, horrible feeling. 
And it has to be resolved. It has to be worked out. And that's one of the genius, one of the most genius things about the 12 steps is the way that it helps you to deal with resentment in your life and helps you to, to resolve your resentment through a process of awareness, ownership of it, and then reconciliation and reparation. And, and it's just one of the most genius things. I think everybody in the world should do it. I wish everybody in the world would do it. I think um, there's, such a, there's such a misunderstanding, right? I mean, first of all, the audience that probably needs it the most is going to be the last ones usually in line to get it, right? Because I was there and you were there, right? And so if you're in some level of active addiction that you don't really want to give up, someone saying, here's something really cool that you might like, you know, without, without judging that becomes tough. I think where there's a huge opportunity, and you and I have talked about this before, is the life lessons. And I never anticipated recovery being a self-improvement program. That's That's all it is. And it's a really freaking good one. Like it's really good. And and like no one really told me that. I thought that first of all, 12 steps is something I didn't want to hear about. So I didn't spend a whole lot of time diving in. I'm not saying that I qualified it and dismissed it. I just dismissed it. But I just sort of thought, okay, if someone's addicted to drugs or they're addicted to alcohol or pot or whatever, that sobriety was just giving it up. You just stopped doing it. It was abstinence, right? It wasn't oh, I'm on this certain frequency of, you know, where I, I frequently channel self-doubt or resentment and I procrastinate and, and I use these different substances or whatever. I mean, that's that to, to medicate that. I didn't think of that. And it was like, oh, maybe if, if you can get to a point where self-doubt, you have the tools to start eliminating self-doubt, you have the tools to start eliminating procrastination then you don't need the medicine you were taking before, whatever that was, right? Yes, yes. I love what you're saying. I love what you're saying. So here's how I'm seeing it. The four aggravations, which are part of the human condition, mm -hmm. lead to the behaviors to try to, to deal with those discomforts. It's uncomfortable to be a negative thinker. Right. It's uncomfortable to be resentful. It's uncomfortable to procrastinate. And it's uncomfortable to have self-doubt. Yeah. So we turn to the big six. And we treat those discomforts. So the four aggravations, it turns out, they lead to these behaviors, which are essentially addictive behaviors. And now it depends on who you are and, and your makeup and, and your behavior and your thoughts and, and, and all of your conditioning to whether you're going to drink alcohol every now and then, or you're going to become an alcoholic. But to me, it doesn't matter because it is not a wise choice from where I'm sitting. For you. For me, for me, right. for, I mean, I just, for humanity, it, it doesn't right. seem to be a wise choice to, to treat your negative thinking with alcohol. Right, right. That, that what you want to do is you want to embark on a, on a process of, of building your awareness as to what's causing this discomfort in the first place. This is what we refer to as yoga. Right. This is the process of yoga, is the process of moving from confusion to clarity or darkness into light, a sense of lack into a sense of wholeness, a sense of you know disconnection into union. This is the expanded perspective on yoga. So in, in, in our talk today, we're expanding our understanding of addiction. Right. We're understanding, we're expanding our, our, our understanding of recovery, and we're expanding our understanding of yoga.
as well. Okay. So now I'm guessing that most people listening to this, because this is not a recovery-based podcast, right? It's a, it's a business and like leadership-based podcast. So most people are going, okay, this is, you know, interesting. How do I, how, how do I fit in? So, so where does, let's say somebody is listening and I, I'm imagining this is most of the audience dabbles in the other stuff, but doesn't have what we would consider like a chronic alcohol addiction or whatever, or addiction to drugs. They drink, whatever, but it's getting into these aggravations now, right? And, and what should a person that we wouldn't, again, it's up to them to, to label themselves, but let's just say they're not in, in a place where they feel like they need active recovery necessarily, meetings or anything like that. How can these tools make a normal kind of run-of-the-mill leader better day-to-day? Like what, what can they incorporate from what we're talking about right now to, to make themselves better? Yeah, so the, the first thing is they are going down this line of inquiry. So they're asking themselves, how can I be better? I recognize that there's, you know, there's things in my life that I'm doing that I actually don't want to do. Or there's other things in my life that I want to do and I'm not doing them for some reason. Right. I want to become more effective, more effective as a leader, more effective as a partner to somebody, business partner or, or romantic partner. I want to become more effective in, in the way I show up in the world. If, if that's what you want, then just the fact that you want that and that you're asking how to do that, that's going to be the first step for everybody. Absolutely. All I'm trying to say is if you're not asking, I'm not answering. <laughs> right. Well, then I kind of think, you know, for me, and you talk about in your organization, you know, people being on a path of growth and discovery, right? Yes. And I think if someone calls themselves a leader, you cannot be simultaneously a leader and someone who is not on a path of growth to me, right? You can't be done. You yeah. can't be like, I've got it all. <laughs> I got it all figured out, you know, and that's yeah. it. And so to me, there's got to be this constant desire, almost like a craving to learn and grow, right? And if someone, I no longer consider myself occupied with the six addictions. They're part of my past, not part of my present. And only one of them, you know, primarily, but, but I don't... I don't spend a lot of time with that anymore. I spend time now on, on what we would call emotional sobriety, which is where I feel like people can really tap into no matter where they are in life and what they're doing, which is these aggravations. So we're all human. Stuff happens. A coworker says something bad to you. You're, you know, you have a, a bad fight with your spouse or whatever, right? And things like resentment kick in, things like self-doubt kick in, you know, and to me, that's been the, the whole blessing of this experience has been the tools to then manage life yes. right afterwards. And I feel like anybody can jump in and start using those. Yes. And so those tools specifically are, you know, regular introspection and yeah. the, you know, how do you do it? How do you study your own life? Usually you need a teacher a guide, a mentor, someone to run things off of. Yes, you can do a certain amount of that on your own also, but there's nothing like, you know, like when I go to the gym, there's nothing like having a trainer be there and push me. Sure. I'm not going to push myself in the same way as someone who can really see, no, there's more I can get out of you, you know? So it it really helps to have a teacher and then it helps to have teachings. So the teachings of yoga are we, what we highly suggest, but 
it, it's so much more than just getting on a yoga mat and doing a physical practice. Right. There's different kinds of practices. There's breath work. There's meditation. And then those, those practices prepare us to be more effective in the world. There's a way that that takes place. And so I want to I say it like this, and I hope this is inspiring to the leaders who are, are listening to this. In your current level of understanding, your current level of intelligence, your current level of awareness and consciousness, the way you perceive things, you have a bandwidth of information that's available to you. You can't access more unless you expand your awareness, your intelligence, and your consciousness. You're going to be stuck within the band of information that you can access. If you want to access a wider band of information, yeah. in other words, if you want more possibilities to present, if you want to build intuition and have a greater sense of whether to go left or whether to go right on any given moment, if you want to build your capacity as a leader and as a human being, you're going to have to do this work. Yeah. It's not because I say so. And, no, and it's not, life, life, life says so, right? Says like, so. like, like life says so. You have and to, you have to be working on yourself. A hundred percent. And and it doesn't mean you have to do what I did. No. It, it just means that you have to heed the message of I need to keep learning and I need to keep growing and I need to stay humble and open in order for me to realize my fullest potential as a human being. Right. And it's gratifying every step of the way when I know I'm doing that. Right. And so, you know, I suggest and, and I advocate strongly for ultimately a meditation practice. Why? Because we must learn how to detach from our thoughts and our emotions, that they, they can take place without us believing them and reacting to them for an entire lifetime. Right. That there's a deeper, there's a settling down into our truer nature that allows us to be more effective than the, the constant bombardment of thoughts, action, reaction, thoughts, action, reaction, emotions, struggling. No, there's a way to break out of that. And, right. and that trains the mind, calms the mind, creates new possibility. It's almost like you're you're scratching the record almost, right? Like they're just in this pattern that like just keeps playing. And just like alcohol and drugs did, right? That was another way of scratching their pattern. They're changing their state. Yep. And now you can come in and change it just in a more healthy way. And then once you learn that and condition it, you can do it whenever you want. You can even get to some point like like the super yogis do, right? Where that is a state they can access very easily, right? That's right. And, and that's where we want to head is have the state of of calmness and presence and uh, you know calm and collected is a good way to make decisions so one thing that that you know in in my journey so far that i try to get i heard you say something once which i really dug and so i stole it like i do a lot of things and it was i think you said i walk in a constant shower of self-forgiveness mm. you know and I really like that a lot because that lets the self-doubt and, and some of the self-resentment go away, you know, even from simple mistakes, right, that, that we make on a day-to-day -day basis. But I kind of feel like along this path, and again, I don't consider this a recovery path necessarily. I consider this a human growth path is this constant, it's almost like a daily debrief with myself, right? How did I do today? How did it go? I kind of audit my day and, and look at it and go, you know, did I behave the way I wanted to? And hopefully not just once a day I'm doing that, right? Hopefully several times a day, but I'm 
you know, for today's purposes, I'll say once a day, kind of looking at what could I have done better? Where did I make a mistake? If it was with a person, I should probably make that right so that I can move on. You know what I mean? And doing that on a, on a constant basis, which sounds like on paper, if you want to look at it very generically, it would be like a daily audit, right? Which sounds kind of hardcore. But another way of looking at it is connecting with and living from consciousness. It's just tapping into that. Yeah. He's giving me the okay symbol. So he's telling me, he's telling me I'm on the right track. (laughs) You're you're more than on the right track. You're nailing it. Uh, It's, it's about, it's actually a constant reflection. Yeah. And that, that to some people, they'll hear that and they'll be like, Oh my God, how exhausting. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of work. Sounds like a lot of work. It's, it's not, it's a lot of work developing the mechanism to pay attention. Right. Once you pay attention as a habit, you just pay attention. If you say something that's out of alignment with your heart, you know it immediately. Yes. If you, if you make a decision and it's the wrong decision, you really, really know it very, very quickly. Yes. So you, you know I, where I've seen this has been, let's say Shannon and I get in a argument or something. Luckily, we don't have too many, but it happens, right? And let's say I say something and I'm like, that was the wrong thing to say. Well, if I'm not connected with that self-check mechanism, that either goes unanswered, I just let it hang out there forever, and that might turn into some resentment on her side, right? Or maybe I apologize, but days later when a lot of damage has been done, you know, and now it's like, it's not that I don't say stupid things. I definitely do. (laughs) It's just the turnaround time gets tighter. I think as you do better and better with this work, you know, absolutely. Yeah. It's like I walk out of the room and I go, Oh shit. You know, I got to walk back in and go, you know what? That that was my bad. And what I love about what you're saying is it, 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 number one, it displays a high level of awareness to be able to do that so quickly. And number two, it's a very real life, scenario. And, and so yoga, the yoga of living doesn't take place on a mat. Right. It's, that's the laboratory. You go into the laboratory and you develop presence and you develop connection to breath and you develop, you find, you know, also you're just making your body, your physical body, a healthier, happier place to be. So everyone wins when you do that. It's when you get off the mat into life. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is where you're going to make your mistakes. Everybody. People think, oh, my God, I, I can't believe I made a mistake. It's like, well, believe it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's why we came here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you came here to make mistakes and then learn from those mistakes. That's going to be how you transform, awaken, and ultimately you know, realize your fullest potential. Right. You don't do that by not making mistakes. Right. And so that's why I walk in a constant shower of self-forgiveness. Right. I forgive myself for being imperfect in this world. Right. And I think by you saying that in such an eloquent way, I think I heard you say it at a retreat last year, it kind of gave me permission to do the same. But it's also based on the understanding that I am human, that I will make mistakes, but that if my intention is true and that I'm trying to reconcile those things on an ongoing basis by, by tapping into consciousness, exactly what we're talking about, then it's cool. Because I know what's going to happen, right? It's no more, it would make no more sense to hold ill feelings about myself about that than it would anything else predictive that you know is going to happen. You know what I mean? And then when it happens, you're, you're, 
you're flabbergasted. And it's like, why? Like you, you knew that was coming. Right. And I never used the term flabbergasted before, but that, you know, there's a first for everything. So, (laughs) um, yeah, I, I, but that, that's the part of this that, that I think you gave a lot of access to, to, you gave a lot of access to people that normally would not access this. And we didn't get into it, but one of the things Tommy did in his book is Tommy created a new 12 steps kind of for what he thought were maybe some barriers to people getting into the original 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I don't want to paraphrase, but there's a lot of hangups around, there's a lot of religious, over, not even overtone, there's just religion in it. There's also, if you read behind it, a lot of flexibility, but a lot of people don't read behind it. And so I think some of the language Tommy's chosen to use in the 12 steps that have been adopted for Recovery 2.0 have been just much more engaging and in a way that allow people to come in here if, if without religious biases and things like that. So it's provided an entry point. I think what I was telling you before was like, now there's nothing about the language of AA or any of those other groups that bother me because I've had an entry through your program and your book, which I think was phenomenal. And for anybody that would like to check out Tommy's book, I'm biased to the audio version because it's you reading it. It's kind of cool to hear your stories and, and reflections and all that. You also have membership at r2o.com that people can join. Yeah. And in and, and there, there's a 40 day, it's a life, life upgrade, right? 40 day life upgrade program. I, I like that a lot. Membership in R2O, we're not here to sell anything, just letting you guys know it's like less than a dollar a day. I think it's 27 bucks a month, something like that. You don't need to be an addict in the traditional sense to, to be part of that community. There's online yoga classes. It's probably, if you're doing online yoga, the membership to R2O is probably cheaper and it has that and much more. So I encourage you to check that out. Yeah, Tommy, any closing words for us today? Yeah. Well, you know, I think anybody, you know, the purpose is simply to realize your fullest potential in this life. And the strange thing about that for me and for you and for everybody is that we desire that. We also are in the way of it. Right. We desire our own transformation, but we're in the way of our own transformation. So the words that I would use for anybody listening to this is please, you know, with an open mind, check into what we're doing. Right. And see if it can be useful for you. It's not useful for everybody. Everybody has their own way, their own path, their own thing. But if this can be useful for you, I'd sure love to know you and connect with you and work with you and and just sit with you in a circle, which which is a regular thing for us, you know, and ultimately we have everything that we need at our disposal to move forward. And so now we just need to get on the right path with each other. And it, it seems on the surface like it's all about addiction and and in one way it is and in one way it's not about addiction at all it's just about being a human being and 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 moving into into a more free and and effective way of living i agree and i I see the only difference between the again addicts that society would call addicts and the non-addicts that are listening right now so either you're hook line and sinker an alcoholic or you're not let's just say you're one of those two camps and there's no gray area in between the only difference between the two of you, if you're on a path, if you're a leader on a path of growth, the only difference between the two of you is the first one has to get rid of the barrier that they drink. As soon as they're able to do that, you are both on the same path now, right? You still both need to deal with all of your emotional sobriety. You need to deal with your four aggravations. You need to deal with all the curveballs that life throws at you. And so in some ways, the recovering addict has an advantage over the non-recovering addict because 
they had a sort of quote unquote, like a car wreck that made them do this. Do you know what I mean? They had like a catastrophic or some kind of event that made them go, you know, their addictive behavior made them go, oh my God, I got to do something about this. Whereas someone else goes, well, things aren't really that bad yet, right? They're humming along at a four on a 10 scale. It hasn't hit anything bad yet. And so I would encourage, again, just like you are, those that aren't there to just check out the learnings and, and of that community, because I think it benefits everybody. Beautiful. Well, we'll use one word that we didn't use yet, and we can yeah. end on this. You know, sure. I'm betting a lot of the people who are watching this are struggling with workaholism. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's partially money, and that can have a lot of things to do with other, other psychological and, and detrimental ways of being. But, you know, we celebrate workaholism in our society. And, uh, you know, it's no boast. It's no boast to work 90 hours a week and for your relationships and all the other aspects of life that are meaningful and important to fall to the wayside. Right. That, no matter how much money you're making, it just simply doesn't matter. There's still that lack of presence. There's a lack of joy and there's a lack of freedom in a person's life. So if you can relate to that, then we really have something for you. <laughs> right. Right. And absolutely. Well, Tommy, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for being a friend. Thanks for doing this on your trip down to Mexico. I appreciate it. And like I said, I mean, you've truly been such a big influence for me in the last couple of years. I've learned so much from you. And, you know, you're making the world, of, I mean, truly, I'm not saying this in a corny way, but you're making the world a better place. I know so many people have been introduced to this way of thinking through you. I mean, hundreds, if not thousands of people that have changed their lives because of you. So thank you so much. Thank you, Ken. So, so grateful. And, and congrats on, on launching the Leaders Lab. I know it's going to do incredible, incredible things. Ah, thanks, brother. I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. I hope you enjoyed my talk with Tommy as much as I did. If you'd like to know more about Tommy and his organization, you can find that at r2o.com. You can get his book, Recovery 2.0, on Amazon. And do me a favor, if you could, and follow us, this podcast, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you are listening. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week. This has been a Mission Matters Network production. Listen to this show and browse our entire catalog by visiting missionmatters.com.